The Provoke Podcast, brought to you by Provoke Media and produced by the international broadcast specialist, Marketeers. Hi everyone, welcome to the Provoke Podcast. This is Arun Sudhaman and we are joined today by Jane Laurie, who is the Global Head of Corporate Affairs at KPMG. Jane, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Aaron. Thank you very much for having me. Looking forward to it. It's um, it's it's great to virtually see you. Last time I saw you was in person um, at the World Economic Forum in Davos. And even though COVID was just starting to take hold, I don't think any of us envisaged this kind of year. No, absolutely not. It seems like, a, like you say, a different different lifetime. And although... As you say, in Wuhan, already that had started. Um, we certainly couldn't have seen what was coming. And I, I can't imagine or remember any time where you could have thought the whole of the uh, the global economy in the world would go into lockdown. So, yeah, we if we could have predicted that one. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's a huge change. And, of course, um, the World Economic Forum, like many events, has been, uh, I think, effectively... Well, certainly the in-person element has been cancelled for 2021. Um, so unfortunately, I won't see you in Davos in January. Um, but we can talk today, and in particular, we can talk about how this year is impacting CEOs. So KPMG has come out with some very interesting uh, research. It's CEO Outlook Pulse Survey, um, which I think surveys more than a thousand CEOs across the world, is that correct? Yeah, that's right. So every year we run a study across thousands of CEOs across the world. Um, Tends to be in the larger organisations, so those with the turnover certainly of more than 500 million, but some greater than 10 billion. Um, So we do that every year, but this year when we were conducting the the survey, it was around January, February. So as you say, before we'd really got into the pandemic, so we decided that actually sort of July, August, we would do another pulse survey and compare and contrast um, what we were seeing from a point of view of trends. So what were the things that CEOs were really thinking about, both from a risk and opportunity perspective? Um, and I think the findings, as you say, are really very interesting. We do see that there have been really significant changes at, at the way that CEOs are looking at business um, across the piece. Yeah. Mm. One of the big findings from the survey, particularly in terms of the differences between January and August, uh, is that talent has risen to be named as the most significant threat um, to these CEOs' businesses ahead of supply chain and environmental risk. Uh, In January, CEOs ranked talent risk behind 11 other risks to growth. So that's a fairly dramatic change. Does that surprise you at all? Well, I think it'd be unfair to say it didn't surprise me um, because like you say, moving from 12 to 1 is very significant. So I don't think we would have predicted that. That being said, when you look at it, um, it, it's it's easy in some respects to understand. So if you think about the changes that have happened uh, through the pandemic, um, I think CEOs, there's a number of different things going on. CEOs have definitely got closer to their people. So, you know, they've had to put people first. Um, they've really had to sort of think about how are they going to get their people through this crisis. So I think that's been changed, number one. 
But then I think what we're seeing is actually, you know, businesses are having to make different decisions, difficult decisions and different decisions. And they're having to really pivot and think about um, how do they run their business differently. And actually, another sort of trend we've seen coming through is technology. So, you know, the digital world um, has really changed through the pandemic. And so I think what CEOs are looking at is how are they going to sort of think about their talent in a different way? So how are they going to think about those digital skills, those problem solving skills? So really looking for a different type of talent um, and talent at a time where they're going to be under pressure to sort of make their business um, sustainable for the future, both profitably um, and also sort of from a, a sort of more societal perspective. Mm. Um, do you think this will persist as the biggest risk, even as we hopefully as we emerge um, into a kind of post-COVID recovery? Um, or do you see this as more of a short-term concern? So I think, I mean, obviously there's been such a significant change over six months, but I don't think um, we could have predicted such a change in the world. So I wouldn't see that it revert exactly to where it was. I think we're moving into a sort of new reality. Um, and I would imagine that talent is going to stay up there, partly because, as I say, I think um, organisations are going to be looking for a different kind of skill set. Um, and how do they actually retain and grow those people who have those different skills within a very rapidly changing environment? So I, I think you'll see talent staying up there. Um, I think when you look at the other trends that are coming through, so I mentioned technology, but also, and interestingly, we, we met last time at... Um, the World Economic Forum, when the whole environmental, social and governance uh, agenda was very high up. Um, and you're starting to see that come through as a trend as well. So I think the societal piece on how CEOs are thinking about uh, people, society and their actual role in the world, that I don't think is going to go away. I think that is a change uh, for good. Mm. Yeah, so we'll talk a bit more about um, ESG and purpose in a little bit, but I just wanted to ask you about a few more questions on the talent side because presumably this has some real employee engagement implications as well. And someone like you, I mean, you've obviously you're the global corporate affairs head at KPMG. Previously, you were group communications director at Tesco um, and you spent several years at Coca-Cola in senior communications roles. How, dramatic, how dramatically has that changed as well? It's, it's, it's not just that talent is a risk, but presumably there's, um, it has pretty big implications for how CEOs and companies are trying to keep their talent um, engaged, reassured and happy. Absolutely. And like you say, there is a sort of convergence, isn't there, on all these issues and trends. Um, and if you think about you know, CEOs are saying that they're much more connected to their people. And like you say, from a corporate affairs point of view, uh, internal communications, employee engagement, really, really critical. And I think, um, you know, anybody who's, who's listening, who's in this, uh, working this function in this discipline, you've seen that actually people have really had to step up and step forward from a communications point of view and really increase the amount of, um, amount of communications and engagement that we're we're sort of having to um, put out to our people. And if I go back right to the beginning, you know, we've actually been through some different phases in this. So right at the beginning, 
I think we've um, had to really increase communications because people were worried. You know, people didn't know what was going on. There was a real sense of this was a crisis and it was a crisis unlike any other. So actually communicators and leaders had to provide information to their people. So I think the first part was how do you actually equip people with knowledge um, and make sure that they're managing in a way that they're protecting their health and their safety uh, and also that they are um, not overly worrying about things that they don't need to worry about. So phase one and CEOs and communications people really had to provide information. And then I think what happened, Aaron, was I think it moved into um, more of, like you say, that employee engagement. So there was a kind of um, almost a sort of strength and a weakness through this because the weakness was that clearly um, CEOs couldn't travel around, they couldn't go to meetings, they couldn't see people. But actually the huge opportunity, and I think we saw it as many other organisations, and I'll come back to it, um, this kind of rollout of uh, video technology where we could actually engage with people um, face-to-face, if you like, virtually, um, in much greater numbers. So I think what you've seen is CEOs actually connecting with people, albeit virtually, in much bigger numbers. So that kind of links back to that whole talent point that you, you mentioned, which is you know, CEOs and, and communications people are faced with that challenge of engaging with people in a way that's very different to how we used to engage. Hmm. How hard a shift do you think that has been for CEOs? You go from a situation where talent is not even in the top 11 risks, um, and then all of a sudden you have CEOs who are having to do you know, regular Zoom or team calls from their living rooms with their pets and they're being called on to kind of, you know, really show a, a, a more caring side to themselves, not to say they're not caring people. I mean, despite perhaps what the headlines might have you believe sometimes. Um, but does this call for maybe a different set of skills on the part of the CEO? Do you feel that they are necessarily equipped for this kind of challenge? Well, I think, you know, CEOs have always had to have quite a rounded uh, skill set. Um, so they, they've always had to be able to, you know, look at the growth um, at the same time as they're sort of looking at the, the people, the people side and the sort of softer side of the business. Um, but I think in the past, what you've seen is that depending where businesses are on their life cycle, you've had different sort of skills uh, coming forward from a CEO. So you might have had one who's had to really focus on, you know, cost cutting, growth, the, the sort of more financial side of the business. Um, and then when the business is maybe doing better, they, you put a CEO in who has got more people skills, maybe more sort of brand skills. But I think what this has done is it's actually, you know, society is looking at businesses with a much, um, much sort of clearer lens and, and much higher levels of scrutiny. And I think what that means is that CEOs are going to have to be much more balanced in their skill set. So it's not going to be enough, you know, to just focus on the numbers uh, at, at certain points in the, in the year. You're going to always have to look through the decisions um, or look at those decisions through a very sort of broad lens and think about the impact on your people, um, on society, not, not just the old kind of stakeholder lens. So I do think, sorry, shareholder lens. So I do think it, it will change um, the skills a CEO needs in terms of broadening them out. Yeah, so we'll, we'll come back to that shareholder lens question again. It's, it's been, I think we just passed the one-year anniversary of the Business Roundtable statement 
um, on, uh, on, on, you know, stakeholder capitalism and so forth. But just coming back, uh, and my, the last question I really wanted to ask about talent specifically is, how has that, I suppose, that change uh, in terms of employee engagement, um, or perhaps that bigger focus on employee engagement, how has that changed your role? Uh, I mean, one of the trends we have seen over the last few years, I would say, is the rise of employees as a, a really critical um, stakeholder group for corporates. Um, and, and in tandem with that, you see the, the, the increasing importance of internal communications. Even, even the role seems to have become more um, important. You may remember the, the, the days when internal comms was, was, you know, the newsletter and the intranet. Um, how big a change has that been? Do you still feel like there's more to come on that front? Well, I think it depends what business you're in. Um, and, and I think in terms, it also depends on the maturity of the function. Um, so in corporate affairs, uh, there's almost a, a sliding scale. There's a spectrum of maturity of the, the function. And, um, I like to think about corporate affairs as two things. It's about actions and it's about words. And I think when the function is slightly less mature, or actually, let's say the organisation is less mature in its understanding of the function, um, then often communications will come in at the end. Um, so it'll be very much just seen as the words. So how are we actually going to communicate our way out of a situation or um, how are we actually going to make the most of the situation? So it's very much about the words. And I think what COVID has demonstrated is that it's as much about the actions that you take as how you communicate. So for me, internal communication is really, really important, but actually just as important as being at the beginning um, of a decision-making process about how you treat your people through the crisis. So let's use COVID as a really good example. Um, and by taking the right decisions, um, the communications and the engagement becomes easier. So if I remember back to, I guess it was uh, February, March time this year, actually we sat down as a leadership team and we, we sort of looked at the COVID crisis and we decided how we were going to approach it. And we put together a framework, um, which was very much about protecting. And so we, we looked at the audiences and we said, this was about, first of all, protecting our people, then protecting our clients, protecting society and protecting the firm. And actually by using that, device, I think it put corporate affairs and communications in a different place because we were thinking about the decisions we were taking um, through the, the eyes of the, our employees. Uh, so then when it comes to communicating, actually, hopefully it's more, uh, more authentic and more believable because we've sort of started off with, with, their, um, with our thinking in mind, if you like. So I, I think, Aaron, that, that has sort of put corporate affairs and communications very much into a more strategic position. But like I say, it partly depends on the organisation and how they have approached uh, corporate affairs and communications through the crisis. But the ones I think that have been doing the best job um, are the ones who've been thinking uh, about the strategic implications. Yeah, it's a really interesting way of looking at it, actually. And it's not one that um, I don't think I had really thought about much. But the idea that... Um, it does depend on an on an organization's maturity and certainly it's it's maturity in terms of of how it um i guess incorporates corporate affairs into its decision making um so i suppose following on from that and this is a question that 
I think has arisen a few times this year, and we, you know, we've asked corporate affairs heads this question. It's something that, that they have kind of we've heard them asking as well. Um, do you feel like, you know, if if not now, then when? I suppose if if organisations are not taking corporate affairs seriously, communication seriously, after this year, I mean, will they ever? <laughs> it's a really good question. And obviously I can't talk on behalf of all the organisations, but as I say, I think the organisations that we see that are coming through the crisis well are the ones that have CEOs that actually do understand corporate affairs and whether they understand corporate affairs as a function, but they understand the ethos of corporate affairs. So, um, you know, thinking about multiple stakeholders, you, you talked about stakeholder capitalism, but, you know, not just thinking about the shareholder, thinking about multiple audiences, thinking about the long-term implication of decisions, not just the short-term uh, implication. Um, and those are the businesses that I think we start seeing coming to the fore, um, that understand the environment that they're operating in. And, and to me, that's what corporate affairs is about. So having corporate affairs, uh, having a seat at the table, for me is really, really critical. The only way that that would uh, not work is if your CEO almost sort of takes on the role of a corporate affairs uh, director. Sure. Okay, so let's let's move on a little bit to the um, some of these other results. In, in particular, I was quite interested in the finding that seventy nine percent of CEOs are saying that they have had to reevaluate their organization's purpose as a result of the COVID nineteen crisis. Um, and that same majority, seventy nine percent, say they feel a stronger emotional connection to their organization's purpose since the crisis began. And again, I'm going to ask you from your perspective as someone who has worked in corporate affairs for several years, uh, and you've worked for some organizations that do take purpose very seriously. How big a shift do you think this is? Um, so again, I think, you know, there are organizations that have had purpose and at the heart of their business for a long time and have been very much purpose led. And that's a term that we've, we've, we've heard about, you know, for many years. But I think what's different here is um, because of the crisis, I think all the CEOs, even those who are purpose-led, have really had to step back and, and get back to the basics of why their business exists. So if you think going through the crisis and um, whatever country you're in, there were these kind of key worker status. You know, People were really starting to think about why were businesses there? What purpose were they serving? So whether that was, uh, you know, the, the healthcare providers, whether it was uh, food retailers, whether it was um, the organisations that were in construction, you know, people were having to think really hard about did they have permission to actually go to work? So, so that is the fundamental reason for purpose. And I think that that made um, CEOs have to really step back and say, OK, do we have a legitimacy? Do we have a right to operate and therefore they, they sort of review their purpose. Um, I think the second thing are in, and I think this will, it goes back to the talent piece as well. I think CEOs have re-looked at purpose because actually what is it that differentiates an organisation um, that makes you want to get up in the morning and actually go to work and, and, and do your best? And of course, there's a number of different things, but Purpose is one of them. So why am I going to work? What is it I actually I'm doing and delivering for the world? Um, and if you if you look at having all of us been working from home for several months, there's very li little to differentiate a, an organisation um, for the person who's sitting at home 
you know, same four walls every day, I could be working for any organisation. So actually the purpose and the values and what it stands for becomes even more meaningful in terms of um, retaining or recruiting the best talent. Um, so I think for those two reasons, almost like the, the public scrutiny, uh, what society expects from a business, plus the employee scrutiny and what an employee really needs uh, from its business, um, has meant that CEOs have had to relook at purpose, even if they were always uh, already considering themselves to be a sort of purpose-led organisation. Mm. And one of the other findings that I think I saw, and, and perhaps you can um, you can explain it in further detail, is that of ESG, the S has become more pronounced this year. Is that correct? According to the CEOs you you polled. Yeah, definitely. So um, it's quite an interesting one, isn't it? I mean, I think. Going into uh, this year, out of environmental, social and governance, probably environment was the number one. Um, so people sort of thinking about decarbonisation, thinking about how do we get to carbon neutral. And I, I hope, and that our study shows that that has not gone away, but I think what's happened is there's more of a realisation from CEOs about what the S stood for. So I, I, I remember back at the beginning of the year, ESG, the S was almost a silent S. Um, it was almost a kind of unthought of, unspoken, uh, and people weren't quite sure how to grapple with it. And I think they were thinking more that, you know, the societal piece tended to be those softer, almost more um, community programmes. And what's happened through COVID is that society, it's become very clear that, um, you know, health and, and the sort of health of our society is critical to anybody's business because if you don't have a sort of healthy society uh, you don't have a business um, so i think it means that actually businesses have recognized that they have to contribute to society to make it sustainable for the future and also again going back to that point about giving them permission to uh, operate and, and to do what they want to do so i do think society will become far more tangible and it'll get more teeth uh, than it that it had prior to uh, prior to the crisis. Um, even when I look at uh, KPMG and, and and what we were doing in that area, uh, and through COVID, um, one of the things we did was we signed up with uh, UNESCO on a global uh, coalition for education because it came very clear that actually with all the home learning. Um, there are a lot of people in um, underprivileged situations who were not getting the access to education. And ultimately, if we don't educate our society, we're not going to have a sustainable future. So it all kind of comes back to that, um, that societal impact piece, I think. And do you also think that, I mean, it would stand to reason, I suppose, that the, um, you know, the social unrest we're seeing, whether that's in the US, uh, but also in the UK, that must also be having... Uh, quite a big impact in terms of public expectations um, of the role uh, corporates and brands play in society. Yeah, definitely. And I don't, I mean, there's, there's a lot of societal unrest. And, and if you're talking specifically about the Black Lives Matter um, unrest and everything that we've seen since the, the murder of, of George Floyd, I think it has been very interesting and telling that um, a lot of CEOs have stepped forward personally. And if you look at the, the findings in the survey, um, it's, it's nearly eight out of 10 uh, CEOs feel that they now have a personal responsibility in the area of societal impact. 
Um, and again, I think that's a bit of a shift. And I think the, the, the way that the society has responded to these issues um, has been much more magnified than it would have been pre-COVID. So I think we're just all much more alert to uh, the role that we have in society, the responsibility we have in society. Um, and linking back to CEOs and, and, and the corporate affairs role, uh, I, I do think being really sort of clear on um, taking the right actions um, and not just putting the words in place is going to be so, so important. So what is it that we do as, as, as businesses, as organisations that um, are going to have an, an impact on some of these issues rather than just saying the sort of nice words that might get us through um, 24, 48 hours. So, so again, I think Arun, that is a change for our function as well. Mm, indeed. Um, not necessarily a negative development for the corporate affairs function, right, which I think has been banging the drum on the importance of of making purpose real and, and more than just a set of words on a vision statement somewhere on the website. Uh, absolutely. I guess we, we've probably all been saying that for a long time. You think about both purpose and also values. Um, and I think, you know, it would be unfair to say, but a lot of organisations 10, 15 years ago, th- there were cases where values were just words on a page. Um, or remember we used to have those little laminate cards that we would hand out uh, with all the values and the purpose on, on those cards. Um, so yes, it's become much more meaningful. And I think using values and purpose to actually um, determine the decisions that are taken around the boardroom table is where it really comes to life. So we, t- we mentioned earlier the, um, this kind of the rise of stakeholder capitalism. And I think this, this um, fits quite well with this with the whole ESG focus that we've just discussed. Um, so 12 months ago, the Business Roundtable came out with a, with a very high-profile statement saying that um, you know, shareholders shouldn't be prioritised above other stakeholder groups. Um, and I think, for the most part, the events of 2020 have only reinforced that kind of view of, of all the reasons we've just discussed um, on, you know, on this podcast uh, in terms of the way, in terms of the role that that people expect from corporates uh, when it comes to societal challenges, but I wonder if that will persist, um, particularly as businesses try to recover lost ground, as they try to you know accelerate growth. Given the kind of economic concerns that they're facing, will that kind of stakeholder capitalism mindset? perhaps be overtaken um, by a maybe a less a less healthy focus on profit above all else? I think that's a really interesting question, Arun, and in, in, in fairness, uh, only time will tell. Um, there is undoubtedly going to be huge pressure on businesses to uh, make difficult decisions, um, which will often be about sort of finance and profit. But I would hope that what we've learned uh, through COVID and, and like you say, pre-COVID in, in um, this whole notion of, of uh, stakeholder capitalism is that actually businesses, and I don't want to use the term get away, but I'm going to, I just did, um, businesses won't get away with um, only focusing on profit and shareholders because I think there is uh, much more, um, if you like, the, the society... 
the, the media, the, you know, generally through social media, the public have much more impact on a business and can actually you know, choose uh, where to go to make their purchase or, or, or their services. Um, so I do think there will be um, a sort of lasting change. Okay, so yeah, so so we hope, I suppose, that um, this is part of a, a longer-term shift. Uh, and that I, I suppose some of the lessons and, and learnings from this year will will persist. One of the things that came out of the research as well is that this is really personal for CEOs. Um, what is it? Four in ten respondents have had their health or the health of one of their family uh, affected by the virus. 55% have changed their strategic response as a result. It's it's rare, isn't it, that a CEO is this personally impacted by the business decisions he might make, or she might make, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, yeah, absolutely. Uh, absolutely, and I think it's really interesting. It's made me think about it as well, because um, obviously coming on to talk about this, uh, and, and I guess, you know, CEOs are, are human. Uh, it's an obvious point, but they are human. And they've been spending time, just like you and I, and all your listeners, they've been spending time at home with their family, with their friends. Um, they've seen people, um, many sort of people close to them, or sort of one or two removed, uh, really suffering through coronavirus. Um, so although they're human, it's making them much more human. And I think it would be such a rare situation where, I think you mentioned at the beginning, Aaron, you know, sitting um, and managing your boardroom from your dining room you know maybe with the dog under the table and children in the background it's brought life and work so close together that i think the ceos who are in role today will take that with them so i think until as long as the ceos of today remain in their role i think they will take that new sensitivity and sensibility with them i really do in terms of their decisions i think um when you then see a change of CEO, it'll be interesting whether they've brought that with them and whether new culture, new new sort of uh, ways of working w- will transition. But I would hope that we will keep the good bits um, and hopefully sort of move away from some of the more challenging bits. And, and one of the things are in maybe we, we can talk about the whole sort of home working piece as well and the impact that that has had on um, businesses and society and whether we think we'll ever get back to anything like that, um, what used to be a way of working um, together in an office. But I think there will be some return to that and that's when it's going to be interesting to see do we all revert to how we used to be or do we take some of the lessons we've learned and, and like I say, hold on to the good um, as we go back to a new reality. Mm. So a more empathetic CEO, perhaps. Yeah, I, I think empathy, uh, emotional intelligence is always important in a in a CEO anyway. Um, but as you go through different periods in in sort of history, life, business, um, that comes to the fore to be more important. And right now, that definitely is is really important. Um, holding on to that as we go into the sort of harder economic times is going to be a, a challenge, um, an opportunity. And, and I would like to think that those are the, those are the skills that are actually going to make the businesses uh, successful in, in the future as, as we ride through what is going to undoubtedly be a difficult time. Mm. I suppose it's worth bearing in mind, really, that 
you know, I don't think any CEO really knows what's going on, right? They can't predict um, what the next six months will be like, what the next year will be like. So for them as well, they are, I mean, to a certain extent, I don't know if, if making it up as they go along is necessarily the best way of describing it, but they are, you know, reacting to events um, in a manner in which I suspect they're probably as uncomfortable with as any of us are. Um, yeah, I, I guess in business, the, the, the thing you don't want is uncertainty, isn't it? You know, that unpredictability. And, and we couldn't have had any, any greater uncertainty and unpredictability. So um, CEOs are being tested, I guess, in their ability to be flexible and to make decisions uh, quickly and, and often with less information that they, than they would usually want. Um, but what we're show, seeing, and, and I think the CEO outlook, and one of the reasons for, for doing this Pulse survey, in some respects is to start to give some uh, clarity where there is a lot of uncertainty. So it's to start to look for the trends and to start help right. making those decisions. Um, and one of the things I think you'll see coming through the, the, the sort of um, the smaller print, if you like, in the CEO outlook is this idea that CEOs are being decisive. So they are having to take decisions quickly. They're having to accelerate things that they wouldn't normally have done. So a really good example um, across a number of organizations and, and ours included is the move uh, to digital. So, so I think many organizations have had to really speed up um, and accelerate the move to uh, technology platforms like Teams or Zoom or you know, the ones we're, we're using right now. Um, it's had to force decisions that quite often would have taken three months, six months, nine months. Um, suddenly global organizations have had to say, okay, we'll move to this platform, we'll do it quickly, um, and, and it's speeding up decisions in a way that actually can sometimes be quite helpful. So, so whilst I think CEOs are having to work in uncertainty, their, their skills in, in terms of being decisive are, again, uh, what will set their businesses apart. Yeah, no, I've heard someone say that I think in their business they had more digital transformation in one month than they'd had in, you know, five years before. I think, I think it was someone at our EMEA summit. I think it was Coca-Cola, if I'm not mistaken. Um, Jane, thank you. Yeah, I think, I think it was. It was um, Jane, thank you so much for your time. Um, it's really fascinating, some of the, the findings here, and I would uh, recommend everyone uh, gets hold of, of this research, which I assume is on the KPMG website, um, which looks at how CEOs are responding. You know, there's a lot actually there for um, business owners, uh, but of course also for communicators. Uh, because, you know, all of this stuff has huge implications for corporate affairs, um, for stakeholder engagement, and of course, for employee advocacy. Um, please take care and stay safe. Thank you, Aaron. It's been great to talk to you. And I look forward to seeing you in person sometime soon. Yeah, I hope that happens soon. Um, to all our listeners, please take care, stay safe. Big thank you um, to Jane Laurie from KPMG, to our producers, uh, at Marketeers, um, our sponsors at Bullet, and we'll be back with another podcast soon. Thank you. You've been listening to the Provoke Podcast, brought to you by Provoke Media and produced by the international broadcast specialist Marketeers. Marketeers.